Thank you, Dan. Good morning, Encounter Church. It's good to be able to be here this morning. I invite you to find one of the Bibles uh, there at your chairs or maybe a copy of God's Word that you brought along with you and turn to the book of Ruth. Uh, You'll find the book of Ruth, if you're using one of the Bibles at the chairs, you'll find the book of Ruth there on page 374. You can see here it's near the Uh, near the beginning of the Old Testament. So 374, the book of Ruth. And this morning we are going to be studying uh, verses 7 through 22. Uh, Lord willing, we will conclude chapter 1 this week. And I invite you to follow along with me as I read those verses. Uh, We'll just go ahead and start with verse 6, kind of the kindness of the Lord that we learned about last Sunday, and then we'll uh, use that as a runway right into verse 7 and beyond. So follow along with me as we begin reading, as I begin reading in verse 6. It says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. 
arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Well, this week, my family took a quick trip to Texas. Uh, We were gifted some plane tickets, and all of our children were able to, many of them making their first flight. For all of them, it was their first flight in which they remembered. And uh, we were gifted some tickets to go visit some dear friends who live in Midland, Texas. And uh, if Midland is more on the west side of Texas, or at least western Texas, and friends, there is nothing but oil wells out there. That's about all it is out there. Pump jack after pump jack after pump jack as you're driving down. Right, Derek, I thought of you so many times in that oil area. In fact, I bragged about you being a, a, a petroleum engineer, right? And uh, so oil just everywhere. Well, our friends, uh, who actually was my youth pastor, believe it or not, and they have visited here uh, several times. Many of you have met them, Dan and Priscilla. And they're a part of a ministry. Uh, they help with a ministry uh, that is um, focused on helping people who are homeless, living on the streets, transition uh, into having a home. And, uh, and also giving them some life skill development. And so what they are doing is they are, um, there's this organization, interestingly enough, called the Field's Edge. Stick around next week and we'll learn somewhat about that entire, that entire uh, ministry title, right? The Field's Edge. It's, it's kind of interesting how God allowed us to go out there. And, uh, and so it's, what, what they do is they're building tiny home uh, communities. It's a large tiny home community that they're doing. And then people off the streets are moving uh, into these tiny homes. And just a couple pictures of them here. Here's, uh, honestly, they're pretty nice. I'm like, man, I, when, you know, when do I move in? What, what do I need to do? And so they're in these uh, circles and uh, just really encouraging the folks uh, to enter into deeper community with one another. And it's been running now for, I don't know, a year or two. And uh, they have nine residents with the hopes of moving to having a community that can house 90 residents eventually. Uh, it's actually modeled off of a much larger tiny home community. That's, it's, it's a tiny home community, but it is not a tiny community. A much larger community in Austin, outside of Austin, Texas, that I believe houses around 3,000 residents. Uh, and so just a, a really interesting, just a really unique ministry style. And I think one thing that I, I learned um, is having, is we spent a couple afternoons and an evening there, and we didn't spend the night there, but we were there during the day and had conversation with these, with the residents, with the neighborhood uh, folks. And um, I think oftentimes we have a stereotype, don't we, of people who are on the streets? And uh, this... I came to realize that everyone on the streets is not, right? I mean, there are so many stories behind the faces of each person. And sp- speaking to some of the residents, one guy who has a degree in um, physics and astronomy and spent time, has spent time working at these large observatories there in Texas and yet lost his job, ended up... Um, His wife, lost his wife and his relationship with his daughters and just that downward spiral. Another guy who uh, was a musician for many years, spent time, a couple years in in Nashville, 
um, owned his own restaurant, just all these things. And yet, th- then just circumstances happen, right? And his response and spiral down to where he finds himself on the street. Another lady who was a missionary to the Navajo on a Navajo reservation for like four years. And, and yet here she is, right? She spent, found herself in the street. And I'm just reminded um, that uh, these people are people just like you and me uh, who find themselves in difficult situations. And, um, and again, we understand, right, the choices, right? The choices they make are in, matter and certainly play into that to where they find themselves uh, living on the street. Uh, but it really was a wonderful trip for, for us to be able to see uh, what God is doing out there. And I also was even reminded here of the, the story of Ruth, right? As Naomi, as Elimelech, uh, they are faced with a famine. How are they going to respond in this situation? And what does Elimelech and Naomi do? And with their sons, they kind of try to take matters in their own hands instead of trusting God in the midst of that. They try to fix the problem uh, in their own efforts by going to Moab. And we've learned this over the last couple of weeks. And to where, to where a point to where they, um, they find themselves where Naomi is uh, without a husband. She is without her two sons. And she's left here with uh, her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. Last week, we saw God's kindness. And we talked about how God's kindness paves the roadway to repentance. How God's kindness paves the roadway to repentance. And now, this morning in verse 7, we're going to see how Naomi and uh, her two daughter-in-laws are going to start the hard road home. That's really the title of the sermon this morning is is that uh, even though God's kindness paves that roadway, even though God's kindness should woo us back to himself, we have to acknowledge that it is not going to be an easy road, that it will be a hard path coming home. And in fact, this is the the big idea for this morning is that we should choose the hard road back home. We're going to see that we will be tempted to choose the easy street, that there's there's an easy street exit along this way, but we're going to see how Ruth shows us the importance of choosing the hard way, the hard road back home. This morning, the first point is this, is that if we're going to return home, we must first start by leaving where you've been. That we should start by leaving where you've been. When we see this here in verse 7, all right, it it seems as if, so they, they get word that God's kindness has come back not that his kindness has ever left, but instead the, the people have repented of their sin. They're in Bethlehem, and God is now blessing them. And, uh, and so in verse 7, we see Naomi and her two daughters. What do they decide to do? It says that with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and she set out on the road that would bring them back to the land of Judah. It sounds very... Um, elementary, but maybe it's a truth that we need to be reminded of, that to go back, to return to the Lord, you must first be willing to leave the place where you've been. The starting point for returning to the Lord is the decision to, to turn away, to step away 
from what has been holding you there for so long. And in fact, sometimes the most difficult step in the right direction is that first step away from where you've been. So verse 7 really gives us a glimmer of encouragement, of hope, especially for Naomi and especially for those two Moabite daughters. They begin to march, they begin to walk back toward Bethlehem. They take that first step in the right direction. As I think about us, and again, we've been kind of trying to apply some of these biblical truths to our lives today. And we've been trying to think about it through the lens of maybe even our own uh, Moabs, right? The, the own, the, our, our own journeys that some of us have taken away from the Lord, where maybe we have found ourselves settling in territory that we never would have anticipated finding ourselves in, and that over time, and so maybe this morning, that is an important and necessary word of instruction to you. That if you are going to walk the road of God's ki- that is paved with God's kindness, you must leave, you must make the hard decision to leave where you are and where you've been. And so for those of us who might find leaving these sinful patterns and tendencies difficult to leave, because sin does have a way of wrapping its tentacles around us and gives us every excuse and every reason not to leave, let me just give you a few helpful questions to consider. One question that maybe you should be considering if you acknowledge and say, man, I have been wrapped up in this sinful practice or this tendency. I've been living in Moab. Maybe it's Uh, involved in a relationship, maybe it's involved in some sort of sinful practice, whatever it is, whatever might define your, that Moab where you thought the grass was greener on the other side of the fence and you left God's blessing trying to figure it out and march out on your own, here are some questions for us to consider. Maybe a question is, why am I convinced that my way is the right way? Right, what is it in me that has, has gotten me to a point to where I'm convinced that I know better than God knows, right? Why am I convinced that my way is the right way? Maybe another question is, by what standard of measure of, of right and wrong am I believing, right? Whose standard of right and wrong am I using Uh, to convince my heart that I need to stay here in Moab. Another question might even be a helpful question is, who am I trying to please other than the Lord? Isn't that that one of probably, that's probably one of the reasons why we find ourselves lingering so long away from the Lord is because there's someone there who we're trying to make happy, who we're trying to please. And we've given them the priority over pleasing God. 
Another couple more. What is it that I'm trusting in more than God's promises? What is it that I'm trusting in more than God's promises? Or what is it that I fear that is keeping me from obeying God? Right? What is it that I fear? Because sometimes there's something that we fear that is causing us to step out in faith. And so we're comfortable over here, and to step out in faith is a little bit terrifying. And so we see here in verse 7 that Naomi and her, her Moabite daughter-in-laws, it's like they've packed, packed up the few belongings that they have, and they're walking down the road where the road sign points Bethlehem, 80 miles. right? And I, I like to picture these narrative accounts kind of in like a scene of a movie. And so it's interesting to note how the three ladies, they started out on the road to Bethlehem, but for some reason, the passage tells us that Naomi stops, and it's almost as if she's getting cold feet. Right? It's almost as if Naomi uh, is maybe second-guessing not her returning to Jerusalem, but it's almost as if Naomi is second-guessing returning to Jerusalem with these daughter-in-laws beside her. And this then leads us to the second point, which is beware of the easy street exit. We need to be reminded that the account of Ruth takes place during the period of the judges. And do you remember how the, the book of Judges concludes? If you forget, just go ahead and turn one page to the left. Right? If you're using one of the, the chair Bibles beside you, you, you look there in, in chapter 21, verse 25 of Judges, it says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. It says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what they felt they wanted to do. And this mentality saturated the culture of Naomi and Ruth's day. And, and I really believe, right, like some of us, I might be pouring some cold water on some of our, our views of Naomi. All right? And so forgive me for that. But it seems like uh, Naomi here has fallen into that mentality of we're going to do what seems right in my own eyes. And really, Ruth is going, to, is going to be demonstrated for us. She's going to come out and she's going to be shown the opposite of, of the one who does what is right in God's eyes. Whereas Naomi is kind of setting the backdrop for Ruth's obedience. And so again, this is the culture. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Elimelech in his own eyes, what was right for him to do was to leave the land of blessing and to go and try to, try to make a living in Moab, right? In enemy territory, a land that was outside of God's blessing. And so here's Naomi, all right? She, she understands God's kindness is there. God's provision is there in Bethlehem. Let's go back. And now she's starting to second guess herself. So verses 8 through 15 now. I think it kind of gives us uh, the temptation of easy street because verses 8 through 15 provides us with an interesting discourse between Naomi and her two Moabite daughters-in-law. 
In these verses, Naomi recognizes the difficulties that she will face and understands also the unique hardships that Ruth and Orpah will face if they continue on with her. And so instead of trusting in God and his kindness, a kindness that also would have been extended to Ruth and Orpah, Naomi attempts to convince these two women to go back to their homes, believing it would be easier for the women if they do not return, if they don't go with Naomi. And also, it might, it might even be easier for Naomi, too, if these women don't tag along with her. Why? Because if, if these women are there with her, Naomi is going to have a continual reminder of her past. Whereas if she can somehow make a clean break with it, then she can go and almost kind of reestablish herself in Bethlehem. She can leave the past behind. She doesn't, and as well, she doesn't have to figure out how to provide for all three of them. She only has to worry about feeding one mouth and not three. She won't have to explain all of the details to all of the chatty ladies back in Bethlehem, right? She won't have to explain that. She can just, she'll just leave it all behind. And so Naomi here in verses 15 or 8 through 15, Naomi makes a threefold attempt to convince the women to return to their Moabite homes. It only takes two attempts to convince Orpah. It takes, she tries three times for Ruth and still is not successful. Let's look at the first attempt. All right, go ahead and look there in verses eight through 10. Again, she's trying to convince these, these gals, like, go, go back home. Verse eight, verse eight, it says, then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye. They wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you and to, with you to your people. So we see now, all right, we see this is the first attempt to try to convince them to go back home. In these verses, Naomi tries to urge the ladies to return to their mother's home. Now, this is an interesting phrase, right? Because in this society, kind of a, certainly a patriarchal society, the emphasis probably would have been on your father's home. But this is an emphasis that is used, return to your mother's home. That phrase of, of, in reference to a mother's home happens four times in the Old Testament, this being one of the four times. And each time that the context in which return to your mother's home or in your mother's home, every time it refers to love and marriage. So it seems likely then that Naomi here is referring to some sort of custom that is according to which the mother's house Possibly the mother's bedroom, not a separate building, but, but somewhere there within the house, the mother's bedroom, was the place where marriages were arranged. And so we kind of see what's taking place, right, in, the, in, a very, in a similar way. Again, Naomi and Elimelech, let's take matters in our own hands. Let's go back, let's go to Moab, because we need to be, be provided for and now she's thinking about Ruth. She's thinking about Orpah. She's thinking about their future. And she's saying, these women need a, a man. 
they need, they need a husband. I mean, this is what she's saying. So return now to your mother's home so that you can find someone who will provide for you. See, Naomi believed that these women would have a better chance, would have better results of getting married and having a future if they returned back to the home of their birth family. And so then it says, it says that she kissed them both which is a very clear signal of dismissing them, right? She gave them a kiss. That's not a welcoming kiss, but it's a goodbye kiss, like get lost, get out of here. Many tears were shed. This was a close relationship. They, they truly did love one another. But after this first attempt on Naomi's behalf, the women refused to leave her, right? They instead re- said, no, we, we want to stay with you. We want to go back to Bethlehem with you. Okay, so now Naomi is going to try again. She's going to try a second time. And this time, it's a little bit more direct. We see this in verses 11 through 14. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more better for me. It is more bitter, more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at this, they wept aloud again. And here we go. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to Naomi. A few more observations on Naomi's attempt to convince the women to leave her. Right? This is a, it's, it's more pointed. It's more forceful. Humanly speaking, Naomi is saying that to stay with me does not promise you a good life. That's what she's telling them. Naomi is saying, she's, she's not saying it, but she's really saying this. She is telling them that it is not likely that you're going to find an Israelite husband, right? She's, she also doesn't, she doesn't even, she doesn't necessarily mention that um, going back to Bethlehem, there's going to be a stigma that they carry. They're Moabite women, right? Naomi, who did you bring back with you, right? You see, the only hope that Naomi sees for these two women is the hope of returning back to their old way of living and bearing children through a Moabite husband, right? I think that's, I think that's, we need to see that. That's where Naomi, Naomi, her, her mind is thinking along those lines, right? She's completely disregarding God's role in any of this. Naomi then adds one final argument in favor of Orpah and Ruth returning home. Not only is Naomi unable to provide these women with husbands, but she also says, God is dealing very bitterly with me. Right? Why would you want to hang out with a bitter old woman? And I think that's a pretty good question, right? <laughs> I don't think any of us would. Right? Like, Man, you, yeah, you're right. You are kind of a little bit bitter right now. She, and she's saying, God is dealing bitterly with me, right? You don't want to associate this with this. And, and again, more tears are shed. So we do see that there's a close relationship between these, these three women. And it's at that point in time that Orpah decides to leave. We never hear of Orpah again. 
And I think probably some of our hearts uh, are probably concerned, whatever happened with Orpah. The third attempt then directed toward only Ruth is this, and we see it here in verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is getting back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And church, I think this statement right here should probably be one of the more troubling statements that Naomi says. So a few observations from this third attempt. As Orpah kisses Naomi goodbye and turns back toward home, Ruth clings, even she, she squeezes, she hugs Naomi even more tightly. And, and what Naomi is, in, is encouraging Ruth to do here is to go back with Orpah. And Naomi says something that's very interesting, to go back to her gods. To go back to her gods. I think that's probably one of the, that's, that's the troubling, that's the troubling, because up to this point, it seems as if Naomi probably has, right, we get this sense, Naomi has their best interest in mind, right? Why wouldn't you want them to go back to a place? But now she's, Naomi doesn't have a problem with these women returning to their own gods. I think this is the most distressing thing that Naomi has said so far. Why? Because a godly Israelite would only trust in the one true God. Would only trust in the one true God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the one that we discussed last week. And they would also know that there are no other gods. How could Naomi encourage Ruth and as well be okay with releasing Orpah back to her home to return to her gods? Because throughout the Old Testament, the instruction to the Israelites is you shall have no other gods before me. In Exodus 20, or also in Exodus 23, pay attention to do everything I've told you and do not even mention the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Or again in Exodus 23, it says, you must not bow down to their gods. You must not serve them or do according to their practices. And so I think this is like, in, in, that, in that statement, Naomi really seems to be showing her cards a little bit. Where she's putting the temporal, the temporary, earthly matters above heavenly matters. And she's making, she's willing to make excuses in order to get certain results, but all the while ignoring God's instructions, His commands. So it seems right then, judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Naomi, do this. Ignore God's commands because everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. This, what we have here, is a classic example of compromise or if I might use another word, you've heard me say it before, it's that word pragmatism. 
Pragmatism is the belief that an action is made right or wrong based on the results. That an action is made right or wrong based on results. Naomi is thinking, I've got to get these girls married off. So I'm going to allow them to return to their old gods so they have a husband. God's word says, you shall have no other gods before me. Right This morning, I was even faced with pragmatism as I was driving on my way here to the church building. Right, There's, I'm on a time schedule. I always seem to cut it way too close on that time schedule. I wanted to get here in time for, for, for Dan's class. And as I'm driving down the road, guess what I hit? Red lights. Every single one of them was red lights. And I thought, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Can I tell you something? You're kind of tempted. Have you ever been here? All right. You're kind of tempted, like you're looking. Okay, no, no police down that direction. No police down this direction. It just won't hurt just to shoop, zip right through. Why? Because I'm going to church. <laughs> right? The, isn't that right? The ends justifies the means. I think probably pragmatism probably creeps into our lives and shows itself in more ways than we would really like to admit. To where we justify the ends and we ignore God's commands. Because the entire time, Naomi is completely ignoring the promises of God. Not only in this world, but the world to come. And she is saying, it is more important for you to go and find a husband who will be able to provide for you in this, in this world. It's more important for you to do that than it is to trust that God will provide for you. That God is the one who will meet your needs. That God is the one who will take care of you not only in this world, but in the world to come. For all eternity. One commentator writes, an online blogger, he says, the snarky allure of pragmatism is that it invites us to rejoice in good results even if that means ignoring or rationalizing what the Lord forbids. We rejoice in the good results and yet the way in which we got there is not pleasing to the Lord. We, have to re we should remind ourselves that no matter how successful the results might seem, it does not outweigh the obedience, our obedience to the Lord. Okay, so let me give you, all right, I gave you a, one way in which pragmatism can show its, rear its ugly head really quick, right? Other ways, right? Tax season is coming up. Fudging the numbers on our taxes. Lord, I've got mouths to feed. Didn't make a whole lot this year. Um, got a family. Think I'm just going to fudge the numbers here. Right? We, we ignore God's commands of living in obedience to the civil governments, governments that God has put in place. We ignore that for what seems to be a good result, but, but we're not obeying God's instruction. 
others um, relationships that maybe we're involved in. Relationships that, and we, and we think, right, right, we've convinced ourselves that this might be my only hope. This might be my, my only chance. And yet we're ignoring the fact that God says, I'll provide for you. I'll meet that need. Turn to me. Trust in me. And it might, and it might be it, that need, and, and I am fully aware, this is, this is an area that number, some of us in this congregation are, have been walking through and even have been struggling with. And so I don't, I don't preach this with a hammer. Instead, I, th- I think we have to say, okay, right, do I, do I, do I go stay in Moab hoping that someone will be able to meet my needs or will, will, will meet what I've, that, that longing that I've had? Do I do that? But yet I, I'm fully aware that in that relationship, it is not in obedience to God. Or do I truly turn and trust that God is able to, to provide for me. And he, might, he may never provide. It may mean that, uh, that, that he is the one who's enough for us. Business dealings, right? Another way in which maybe pragmatism shows its ugly head. Um, business dealings. Or even the company you work for, right? What happens when the company you work for that gives you a paycheck that puts food on the table, what happens when that company requires you to agree in writing to an unbiblical social agenda? What happens then? I'm, I'm cool hanging out with these false gods over here. As long as I have food on my table, I'm gonna... Is the Lord's Prayer... Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Being willing to say, I'm going to trust in God's promises and and not align myself with the gods of this world and believe that God will provide. How often do I make a decision that knowingly steps out of biblical obedience but it's because I feel like it's going to get me a good result? And we make excuses like this, right? But I'll be able to, prov- I'll be able to provide for my family. But I won't be lonely any longer. But I'll be happy. But everyone else seems to be good with it. Even other church people. I think we want one one. Uh, application here from this is is you can't always trust the opinions and the advice that you receive from other people whom you might love. Instead, that should always be measured by the standard of God's word. What does God's word say about this? Other excuses, but it's my life. But no one else will be impacted. But no one else will know. But just for a little while. That's what Elimelech said. Let's sojourn there just for a little bit. But it's easier 
this way, right? That you've heard me say, that's one of those, that's one of those dashboard warning lights. When, when, you're, when you're making a decision based upon, well, it's easier this way, like that is screaming, watch out. You might be exiting onto easy street. Why? Because walking in step with the Lord and returning to the Lord is a hard road to travel. And few find it. And the pathway is narrow. We probably go to Moab to meet our needs more often than we'd care to admit. Just because it's easier. Okay, so there's, right, that, so there, uh, I completely just threw Naomi under the bus, right? <laughs> I think maybe poured a little bit of uh, cold water on Naomi. But again, I think there's some troubling concerns here with that. But what that does is, there's a reason why the book is called Ruth and not Naomi. Because now steps into the stage, onto stage, in the limelight, in the spotlight, is Ruth. And this is where Ruth says, no turning back. No, no, we have started down the road to Bethlehem. I am not turning back. See, Ruth is, she's the one who is put on display. She's the lead character. She's the protagonist, if you might say. She refuses to do what is right in her own eyes. She's the one who steps out of the period of judges and steps out of that culture and instead chooses to do what is right in God's eyes. Completely trusting herself to Jehovah, the one true God. Verse 16 begins... With the word but, it says, but Ruth replied. It brings to our attention a contrasting decision. Showing us, here's what Naomi is telling her to do. It says, but Ruth replied. What did she say? Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. We have to be reminded that Ruth had no legal or cultural responsibility to Naomi. Naomi also was a widow and she had no means of support, right? No one would have blamed Ruth from an earthly, from a worldly perspective. No one would have blamed Ruth for for just returning back to Moab. Each of these statements that Ruth makes here, uh, they kind of ratchet up her commitment. First it says, but Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you, right? She is saying, stop it, Naomi. Stop pressuring me. Don't force me to leave you. Don't, Don't cause me to turn back from you. And then it goes, she goes on, it says, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Ruth is making the decision to change, to completely change her address. It says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. In this statement, Ruth is renouncing her people. And now she is claiming the people, the, the heritage that Naomi has come from, the people of God as her own. Right? Living as a pagan in, in Moab, uh, Ruth would have worshipped many gods. The Moabites had a, a list of gods they worshipped, false gods they worshipped. But she is now saying, your God, your Jehovah, your Yahweh is my Jehovah, my Yahweh. 
This is an interesting statement then where she says, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. You see, in the ancient, uh, in the ancient world, the place of a person's grave was significant. Right? You even think of right, Jacob and Joseph in the, in the book of Genesis. They wanted to be buried in Canaan, in the promised land. Right? So some of those bones, the people lugged around with them for years because there's a significance in where they were buried. It was an identification of their true home. So the implication of Ruth's intent to be buried in Israel was a change of homeland and an intent to change even her national identity if possible. She's forever aligning herself with the people of Israel. She says, I want to be buried in the land of promise. And then she goes on. It says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely severely, if even death separates you and me. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death uh, parts you and me. Ruth now is sealing the deal with a solemn oath. Right? We see that she's swearing this oath not in the name of a, of a Moabite god, but she instead is swearing it on the na- in the name of Yahweh, Jehovah, clearly identifying herself with God. What Ruth is saying is she's saying, if, if I'm not faithful to this promise, then I agree to become an object of divine judgment. Church, Ruth is showing us what total commitment to the Lord looks like even when it costs us everything we've known i'm reminded of the song i've decided to follow jesus i've probably mentioned it on numerous occasions it's probably a song we should sing to ourselves every morning when we wake up i've decided to follow jesus the first verse says no turning back no turning back the second verse goes though none go with me I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The third verse then says, The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Well, this week I mentioned that we did take a plane trip. It was the first flight for our kids. On the first leg of the flight, we were separated as a family. Our boarding passes were like in the late B's, early C's or so, and so we were separated. So we were just trying to find seats. We're putting kids with, you know, up a couple kids here and a couple kids there and a couple kids over there. And we made it on that first flight and we hit the ground and got off the first flight and I found out how much my couple, my boys especially enjoyed the trip because um, you know how the steward or stewardess or flight attendants come by and they offer you free drinks. Well, a couple of the boys took full advantage of that, and they thought it was like a never-ending soda fountain type thing. A couple of the boys ordered up three drinks. I mean, not like the drinks you buy, (laughs) not those drinks, but but just the free sodas. You know, we got off, and they said, oh, man, that was great. We got three drinks, and we also got three snacks. You know, they just order them back and forth, which explains why Thatcher went to the restroom twice on that flight, (laughs) leg of the flight. But, you know, I thought about it as we were sitting on one of the legs of a flight and getting on. It's like when you step on that flight and they lock that door, you know, and they tell you, you're not getting off. 
I mean, you have to cause a pretty major disruption to get off that flight. But they're saying, you are not getting off. And it's that point in time where you start to realize, my life is completely in the hands of a pilot. Sitting in a cockpit that I don't have access to. Nor do I have the knowledge or capability, even if I did have access to that cockpit. And so I sit there and I trust in that pilot. You know, and I thought to myself, how many people sit on a plane like this and entrust their life for that leg of the flight to a person without asking questions, but believing that that pilot knows what he's doing, and yet we struggle to trust our lives to an all-wise God who knows what he's doing and has our best interest in mind. See, this is Ruth. She is, complete, she is turning her back completely on everything that she had known. And she is saying, no, your God will be my God. Your land is my land. Your people are my... This church, right, we're talking about discipleship. That is, that's burning the ships. That is cutting the cord. That's any other cute phrase you want to add to that. That's what following Jesus looks like. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following him, doing the right thing, even when, humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense. And all of our friends around us say, well, if you did it this way. Again, here's the contrast. Naomi, go back to your gods. Get married. Trust in him. Ruth says no. I'm denying those gods. I'm believing in the one true God and I'm believing that he will provide for me. Okay, finally, four. This will go quick. In the final verses of today's text, we see that bitterness that has crept into Naomi's heart. Again, sorry for throwing cold water on your beloved Naomi. Okay, but I think it probably gets better for her as the story goes on. It says, so the two women went on Right there in verse 19. So the two men, women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said to them. Call me Mara. Because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Noab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. You notice where the blame lands for Naomi? Shaking her fist at him. I, I went away full. My husband and I, we had it all. And yet God has taken all of this away from me. See, the way these two women responded differently, Ruth lost her husband too, but we see a different response. The way these two women responded differently to their situation is shown to us. Naomi allowed bitterness to creep in while Ruth chooses to trust the Lord even in the hardship. Life has not turned out the way Naomi had hoped, and maybe it's not turned out the way that you had hoped either. 
the attempts her family cho- that Naomi's family chose to chart their own course have failed and it's only ended in heartache and hardship. Naomi blames God for her troubles and she harbors a resentful heart toward God. But the example of Ruth is far different from Naomi. Ruth chooses a daunting path, a hard path, but one that is guided by the promises of God. She does not ignore her heartache or hardship, but yet she chooses to turn to the Lord for His mercy and His grace to see her through the pain. And that final, ver- those, that, that final verse, that final line of chapter 1, I love the final line. It says, a barley field ready for harvest. How did the chapter begin? A famine in the land. All the roller coaster of Naomi and, and everything that has transpired in chapter one. And where, again, if this is a movie, and if this is the end of one of the scenes, at this point, the camera is now panning over a beautiful field of barley as it waves in the wind. It's a foreshadow of God's provision toward those who trust in him. It's a reminder of the strange and often puzzling reality of how God specializes in using even our own sinful means to bring us to a glorious end and the fulfillment of his promises. Church, are you choosing the hard road back home. Maybe for some of you, it needs to be taking that step away from where you've been. Maybe for some of you, it's acknowledging and saying, man, I've been making a whole lot of excuses in hopes of getting good results. And I've not been trusting in God's promises. I think probably all of us need to have a renewed resolve to say no turning back. I'm going to believe that God's promises are true and that in Jesus there is enough and that I'm going to run back home to him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can learn from it. God, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would continue working in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to choose to return to you, to acknowledge our sin, to turn from it, and to be determined that you will be our God and that we will be your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.